Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Welcome to ParCast Presents The Best of 2019. We have for you the most requested episodes of mythology from this year. For more great episodes you may have missed, subscribe to Mythology. Listen free on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. As Theseus and his men waited on Aratios for Hercules to return with Hippolyta's girdle, a new bond was being forged between the worlds of men and the wild Amazons. Theseus, the heir of Athens, and Queen Hippolyta's middle sister, Antiope, had struck up a flirtation as she guarded his strange crew of bearded creatures. As the sun began to set, Antiope felt her guard begin to fall. Antiope, whose experience of men was limited to the battlefield, was surprised by Theseus's gentle nature. His soft voice captivated her with tales of his adventures, while he softly stroked the neck of Antiope's horse. Soon, Theseus invited her to continue the conversation on the deck of his ship. Antiope left her horse and spear on shore and climbed aboard. They were deep in conversation when battle horns sounded from across the island. What's going on? By the gods, we must be under attack. From where? We're the only ship on this island. Theseus turned to see dozens of Amazons riding down the beach on horseback. Ahead of them, he could make out a small figure running on foot, barely outpacing the stampede. As Theseus looked closer, he realized who the poor fool was. Hercules was sprinting toward the ship, holding a shining belt that whipped in the wind as he ran. It was Hippolyta's girdle. Dear Zeus, what have we done? Prepare the sails! Wait, stop! What are you doing? A torrent of arrows suddenly rained down upon the ship. The full cavalry of Amazon warriors had approached, hot on Hercules' heels. Hercules scrambled aboard, breathless, and demanded Theseus unmoor the ship immediately. 
Theseus, do not launch this vessel. There's a misunderstanding. Let me on shore to speak to my people. I can stop- I'm sorry, Antiope. We stand outnumbered, and my men will surely die if we waste another moment. I have no choice. Release the sails! No! No! Let me off! As the ship pushed off, a swift wind lifted its sails and carried it from the island's shore. Theseus held on to Antiope, fighting to keep her from throwing herself overboard. When she finally stopped struggling, the shores of Aratios had receded to a green jewel glittering on the horizon. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. This is our final episode on the exploits and tragedies of the mythic tribe of women warriors, the Amazons. In last week's episode, we learned about the founding of the Amazon nation by the warrior Atrera and war god Ares, and followed the doomed friendship between Hercules and the Amazon's second queen, Hippolyta. This week, we'll focus on Ares and Atrera's middle daughter, Antiope, and her younger sister, Penthesilea, as she navigates her new role as queen in the wake of Hippolyta's death. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. You can find all previous episodes of Mythology, as well as all of Parcast's other shows, on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. When Theseus's ship left Aratios, it took the next queen of the Amazons with it. As Hippolyta's next of kin, Antiope was now the true heir to the Amazonian throne. But Antiope was unaware that her sister had passed as she screamed and struggled in Theseus's grasp, watching the only home she'd known shrink further in the horizon. All she knew was that she was leaving her people behind, but there was one person she wailed for louder than the others, one person who needed her the most, Penthesilea. Hippolyta and Antiope's youngest sister, Penthesilea, was just a teenager when Hercules and Theseus came to Aratios. Until that fateful day, she had lived happily beside her older sisters, guided by Hippolyta's wisdom and safe under Antiope's protection. They loved her fiercely, and Penthesilea adored them in turn. The day she lost them both in one fell swoop, the world seemed to come to a shuddering halt. The memory of that day haunted her, keeping her awake long into many nights. Penthesilea was a member of the cavalry that had stormed the beach toward Theseus's ship. As she rode onto shore, every cell in her body had been alive with rage. She fired dozens of arrows until every last one had been spent from her quiver. And as she approached the ship, 
Penthesilea had seen Antiope writhing and screaming in Theseus's grasp as she tried with all her strength to leap from the deck. As soon as Penthesilea saw the ship unfurl its sails, she leapt off her horse and ran toward the waves, determined to make it to Antiope, yet feeling more and more helpless with each step. Penthesilea screamed her sister's name as the ship pushed off into the sea. She wailed as it drifted further and further from Aretias, shrinking into the distance. And she didn't stop crying until it had disappeared entirely from the horizon. Penthesilea dropped to her knees in the sand. Antiope was gone. That night, Penthesilea held a funeral for her slain sister, Hippolyta. Her body was carried from her tent by a procession of warriors. As they marched across Aretias to a solemn drumbeat, more Amazons gathered in their wake. The women wailed for their fallen queen. They carried her corpse to the tallest peak of Aretias and laid her on a bed of driftwood and stones. A torch was passed down a line of warriors, exchanging hands until it reached Penthesilea. She stood at the base of the pyre, gazing at her sister's still body. I always knew you would die by the hands of men. I imagined being by your side as you fell, uttering a battle cry with your last breath. But this, murdered by thieves... You deserved so much better. Sleep well, wise queen. Penthesilea bent down and softly kissed Hippolyta's forehead. Then she set the pyre ablaze. As Penthesilea watched the fire consume her sister's body, she felt her grief change shape. A new feeling was overwhelming her, bitter rage. She turned to her people and spoke. Sisters, for years we have remained distant from the worlds of men while they rule the earth with an iron fist and step on the necks of their women. We've heard of their cruelty and today it has finally come to our shores. Hercules and Theseus have left destruction in their wake. They abducted Antiope and murdered our queen, stabbing the very heart of the Amazons. Tonight, I demand we stab back. As your new queen, I will not stand idle as our leaders are slain and our dominion is threatened. We will take our pound of flesh. In one year, we will march on Theseus's precious Athens. The Amazons' cries of agreement fell quiet. This was not the swift revenge they were hoping for, and they questioned their young queen's strategy. Molpidea, the Amazon's commanding general, stepped forward. Penthesilea, each day we wait to storm the gates of Athens is another day Antiope is subjected to the cruelty of these bearded tyrants. Do you propose we leave our true queen to suffer while we gather our bearings? I say we fight the bastards now! I understand your restlessness, Bulpadea, but may I remind you that as of tonight, I am your queen. 
and I do not take my position lightly. I will not send our warriors into a battle that they are unprepared to fight. Unprepared? War courses through our veins. One of my fighters possesses more skill than ten of Theseus's men. Yes, but for every one of our warriors, he will have thirty soldiers awaiting an attack. Theseus expects we will act on our passions and march on Athens within a fortnight. If we are reckless, we'll be slaughtered before we breach the city walls. We will wait one year until Theseus has let down his guard. Then we will take Athens. And how do you propose we lay our attack, wise queen? We will invade while Theseus's soldiers slumber, riding out of the early morning mist like specters of death. We will storm the gates and liberate Antiope, slaying every man who dares stand in our path. And we will not withdraw until the marble glory of Athens is reduced to ruins and corpses. For one year, the Amazons prepared for their attack on Athens. Molpidea trained her warriors relentlessly, and Penthesilea grew into a fierce but bitter leader. But while Penthesilea formulated her plan for death and destruction, Antiope was building a life. Days after they had set sail from Aretias, Antiope made Theseus suffer the full wrath of her anger over being carried away with his ship. As Antiope's rage gave way to despair, Theseus spent many hours by her side, sitting with her in her grief. Antiope was taken by his kindness, and as they sailed the Black Sea to Athens, she felt herself falling in love with her accidental captor. When the ship finally arrived at Athens' port, Antiope was struck with the city's beauty. Athens was a city of ornate pillars and glistening marble. Its palaces towered against the sun, breathtaking and formidable, while the streets below were vibrant and bustling. In all of her travels with the Amazons, she had never seen a kingdom like this one. But once they entered the city, Theseus was delivered devastating news. His father, King Aegeus, had died during his voyage. He would soon be crowned king of the prosperous city-state, and as all kings did, he needed a queen. Antiope found she was welcome in the dazzling city. She was an outsider in a strange land, yet she was treated like royalty. She stayed in Theseus's palace, tentatively joining feasts and attending his coronation. Theseus, in turn, was a patient and gentle host. He guided the bewildered Amazon on tours of the great city's many opulent temples and busy markets, showing her a world she had never known on Aretias. On their long walks through the streets, Antiope and Theseus grew closer. Weeks later, when he asked Antiope to be his queen, she was surprised by the certainty she heard in her own voice. It emanated from somewhere deep within her, rising through her throat and spilling from her lips before she could give it a second thought. She accepted. In the months that followed, 
Antiope slowly became accustomed to her life with Theseus in Athens. Together they ruled with wisdom and decency, and the city flourished under their leadership. Soon, Antiope gave birth to a son. Antiope loved her baby boy fiercely, but his birth was bittersweet. If her son had been born on Aretias, he would have been sent off the island to be raised by a neighboring tribe. She would never see him again. Keeping her baby meant an anchor to the world of men. It meant never returning to her sisters. The day of her son's birth, the Amazon within Antiope died. Antiope prayed that the warrior spirit she had given up would live on through her baby boy. In a gesture of hope, she gave him a name in tribute to her people and in honor of her queen. She named him Hippolytus. The year that Theseus and Antiope ruled Athens together was a year of prosperity and peace. Commerce thrived and no blood was shed. The people were happy under their reign, and Antiope felt, for the first time, as if she truly belonged. But Athens' year of peace would come to a violent end. Penthesilea and the Amazons were coming, and they intended to collect their pound of flesh. Coming up, the Amazons bring their bitter vengeance to the streets of Athens. Now back to the story. Penthesilea and Molpidea traveled across the Black and Aegean seas on a dozen ships with an army of 500 trained and battle-ready Amazons on board. They weathered storms and turbulent waters for weeks Lightning scored the heavens, and thunder throttled their ships with every brooding rumble. The tempest appeared to be a dark omen sent by the gods themselves. But Penthesilea did not heed warnings from any man or god. She forged on, determined to reach the mainland within a fortnight. As the Amazons approached the outskirts of Athens, they crested a hill overlooking the city. It was just before dawn, and the sun hadn't yet surfaced. The entire valley was cast in shadow, and a low-hanging fog clouded the city's columned buildings. Penthesilea trotted her horse to the front of their ranks and gazed down at the slumbering city like wounded prey. It was now or never, she signaled to Molpidea. Sisters, there lies before you the object of our voyage and our training. One year of blood and anguish has led to this very moment. Our turn has come to devastate Athens, as Theseus has done to Aratius. We will avenge Hippolyta and liberate Antiope. We will take our retribution! The Amazons struck their swords against their shields in violent anticipation. Penthesilea stepped beside Molpidea 
and as she approached her restless army, she raised a single palm. The cheering warriors fell silent. In just moments, we will descend on Athens like a plague. And when the sun rises over the Pindus Mountains, we will have stained the marble city red with the blood of its people. We do not return to Aretias without Theseus's corpse strung from the bow of our ship. On my signal, release hell! The Amazons rode down the hill into the land below like a crashing wave. The deep, low bass of thousands of hooves pummeling the earth echoed throughout the valley. The Athenians heard them before they saw them, a distant thunder growing closer by the second. Theseus and his generals immediately called their troops to arms. The bells tolled in alarm, and the soldiers flew to their stations along the city walls. The Greek soldiers readied their weapons, hearts racing in anticipation of the coming charge. But then, suddenly, the wave of sound stopped. There was a heavy stillness. Unsure of where to aim their arrows, the Greek archers swept their bows across the horizon, peering into the gently stirring mist. Nothing. The fog was too thick. Suddenly, an archer was struck down, and then a second, and another, and then another. A shower of arrows then rained upon the stronghold, and then, finally... The blood-chilling cries of 500 women filled the air as the army of Amazons emerged from the morning fog. They descended on Athens' walls, howling and screaming like banshees. The Amazons pushed past the gates to find the Athenian army still scrambling to organize their soldiers. They seized their vulnerability, not hesitating to cut down any man in their path. An hour later, they had blazed halfway through the city. The warrior women fought their way toward Theseus's palace, leaving a trail of bodies in their wake. The Amazons had expected an entire legion of soldiers to be waiting inside the palace, defending their king and guarding Antiope's cell. But when Penthesilea and Molpidea opened the massive doors, they were surprised to find the palace empty. The two Amazons searched the abandoned hall, weapons at the ready, listening carefully for the slightest noise. But the only sounds were the echo of their own footsteps on marble floors. These halls are as dead as Hades. Penthesilea, there isn't a soul in this place. Let's... If Theseus's brat is in this palace, then the beast himself can't be far. As Penthesilea and Molpidea strode through the palace halls, Antiope hid with her son in one of the palace's innermost rooms. It was perhaps the first time in her life that the once fearless warrior felt terror. But it wasn't for herself. Still, little one, 
For the love of the gods, be still. She did not know how Penthesilea would react to finding her in the palace, holding the child born of a union with their enemy. How could she explain herself? How would she convince her fierce sister that she had fallen in love with Theseus and taken a throne by his side? How could she explain loving a man at all? Antiope grabbed the hilt of her sword and prayed she wouldn't have to use it. Theseus, do you hide inside your palace with babes while your men die like dogs in the streets? Coward, you may be king now, but you cannot escape your sins with an army and a crown. You owe me a blood debt. In her rage, Penthesilea struck a bust of Theseus with her sword, sending his likeness shattering to the floor. She heard the infant cry again. They were close. The two Amazons followed the cries to a door at the end of the hall and entered, swords raised. But as soon as Penthesilea crossed the threshold, she stopped dead in her tracks. Antiope stood in the center of the room, her tall frame draped in silks. Golden cuffs decorated her bare arms, and jewels glittered from her neck and pierced ears. Penthesilea was frozen. She had played the moment she would reunite with her sister over and over in her mind. But seeing her there, standing adorned and perfumed, dripping in jewels... Penthesilea felt as if she was in a strange dream. Antiope, Penthesilea, you don't know how long I have prayed to Ares that I would see your face again. What has happened to you? I swear to the gods, if Theseus has locked you away and made you his concubine. I am no one's prisoner, Molpidea. What are you saying? Penthesilea watched carefully as Antiope steeled herself to answer. As she began to speak, tears streamed down her face. She explained that everything her Amazon sisters saw, the fine silks, the chambers in Theseus's palace, they were her choice and hers alone. Neither Theseus nor any man had enslaved her in Athens. This was never your choice, Antiope. You belong in Aratius with our people, your people. You don't understand. My people are here, in Athens. I am their queen. It was so clear now. Everything had been there in front of her eyes. But Penthesilea hadn't let herself believe it until the words fell from Antiope's own mouth. You are no queen here, sister. You are a slave in silk robes. Come with us to Eratias and take your place on the Amazon throne. Your people need you. I need you. Come home. I can't come home, Penthesilea. I have a child here. A son. Antiope moved aside to reveal the infant behind her, cooing in his cradle. The realization struck Penthesilea like a blow to the stomach. Leave him, Antiope! Let men be raised by men! Come with us! I will not. 
You mean to tell me that you choose to abandon your people in exchange for suckling Theseus's heir at your breast? Yes. Then you leave us with no choice. Penthesilea turned to Molpidea. What did she mean? But it was too late. The fierce general had already hurled her spear. Ugh. Antiope stared in disbelief at the spear piercing her stomach, delicately holding its handle. Then she locked eyes with Penthesilea. The sisters stood frozen inside a small eternity. As the baby began to wail again, Penthesilea ran to catch her sister. Antiope gazed up at Penthesilea as she knelt over her body, trying in vain to stop the bleeding with her bare hands. She opened her mouth to speak, but instead of words, blood flowed from her lips. In the next moment, Antiope was still. Penthesilea stared down at her motionless sister, Antiope, the true queen of the Amazons, her last sister, was dead. Penthesilea doubled over as sobs racked her body. Soon, her tears mixed with Antiope's blood. Penthesilea turned to Molpidea, rage flooding her senses. What have you done? She betrayed us, made a mockery of our way of life. Penthesilea had had enough. In one swift movement, she reached for her bow and sent an arrow through Molpidea's heart. Ah! <sighs> the Amazon sank to her knees, gasping in disbelief. Penthesilea looked on as her general died. As the war waged on outside the palace walls and Antiope's infant son wailed from his cradle, Penthesilea sat silent in the blood of her slain sister. Coming up, Penthesilea returns to the kingdoms of men for the last time. Now the final chapter of our story. After one year of vigorous preparations and training, Penthesilea and the Amazons' long-awaited attack on Athens was coming to its end. But what started as a mission to rescue their rightful queen had ended in tragedy. Molpidea murdered Antiope, and Penthesilea killed her general in turn. Outside, the battle between the Amazons and the Athenians descended into bloody chaos. As soon as the Amazons penetrated the heart of the city, Theseus collected his troops and fought back with a vengeance. The Athenian army outnumbered the women warriors five times over, and soon they had them surrounded in Athens' Acropolis. Without their general or their queen to lead them, the Amazons were almost entirely cornered. By the time Penthesilea emerged from Theseus's palace and led her people to retreat, more than 300 of her fighters had fallen in the onslaught. 
The Amazons had suffered a devastating defeat, unable to conquer Athens or rescue their rightful queen. They returned to Aretias to recover from the loss and to mourn their dead. But Penthesilea would never be the same. The horrible tableau of Antiope's death had etched itself into her mind. Every time the young queen closed her eyes, images of her sister gasping for breath in a pool of blood and silks appeared. And when a storm would howl across Aratios's forests, Penthesilea believed she could hear the desperate cries of Antiope's infant son in the wind. The young queen was plagued by despair and wished for her own death. But it was forbidden for an Amazon warrior to take her own life. An honorable death on the battlefield was the only form of self-destruction that Penthesilea could hope for. She longed for an opportunity to sacrifice her life to Ares and clear her honor with blood. And soon, she received her chance. On the coast of the Aegean Sea, the kingdoms of men were waging a long and ruthless battle. When Paris, prince of Troy and son of King Priam, abducted the beautiful Helen, the Spartans came and lay siege to the city. The Trojan War had begun. Troy had recently lost its champion, Prince Hector, to the invincible Achilles, who fought on the side of Sparta. In the wake of Hector's death, King Priam was in desperate need of an ally to support the Trojans in his stead. He searched high and low for any man to come to their aid against the Greeks, but it was a woman who heeded the call. Penthesilea agreed to sail to Troy to fight on the side of the Trojans, but on one condition, she would go alone. Amazons historically did not fight in men's battles, and she refused to involve her people in what was ultimately a foolish squabble over a beautiful woman. Penthesilea had been waiting to cleanse her soul on the battlefield and join her sisters in the afterlife. King Priam's request delivered that opportunity to Penthesilea on a silver platter. Fighting the indomitable Achilles was a suicide mission, and she would not bring another army to Greece just to be slaughtered. But when Penthesilea announced her plan to leave Aratios to fight the War of Men, she was met with resistance. Her people insisted that they accompany their queen. And soon, twelve of her best warriors stood pledging to die alongside her in battle. They were Ania, whose name means swiftness, Alcabe and Antibrote. Bremusa, whose name means raging female, Clete and Derimachia, Derinoi, the dark-eyed, Harmathoi, and Polemusa, Thermodosa, her most skilled warrior with a spear, and Antandre, whose name means one who goes before men. The very next morning, the small band of Amazon warriors sailed the Black Sea for Troy. Days later, 
Penthesilea noticed that the once blue horizon had begun to burn red. As their ship drifted closer to shore, the horror of the Trojan War came into terrifying view. The city glowed crimson with the flames of the burning city. The faint screams of soldiers and citizens alike could be heard in the distance. In the Trojan port, the Amazons sailed through a smoking graveyard of obliterated ships. Penthesilea had always known that coming to Troy would mean certain death, but seeing the devastation of the city laid out in front of her was something else entirely. The heavy reality of what she had brought her warriors to face sunk deep to the pit of her stomach. Sisters, we alone have been gifted with the ferocity of Ares. The blood of war runs hot in our veins. Our heritage is battle and victory our tradition. Today, we seize our birthright. If we fall, it is an honorable death. Our ancestors call to us to take our place among them. In death, we will see our mothers, our daughters, and our sisters. We are Amazons, unafraid of battle, unafraid of death. Meanwhile, in Troy, the Spartans had gained the upper hand. After Hector's death, the Trojan army had suffered great losses and grown weak in the relentless battle. They were mere days from surrendering to Sparta, but soon their hopes were revived by their glorious new ally. Penthesilea and her 12 warriors rode straight into the fray, and Trojans and Spartans alike turned to watch as the fierce women galloped into battle. The Amazons crouched forward over the necks of their horses, long hair streaming behind them, their armor glinting in the midday sun. They rode together with an almost unearthly grace, at once beautiful and terrible. The Trojans cheered as the warriors swept past. Finally, the daughters of Ares had arrived. As the two lines clashed, Penthesilea and her warriors cut down every Spartan in their path. The Amazon queen blazed through the ranks like a wildfire through a forest. One by one, she pierced the backs of those who fled, and any man that dared to charge her was struck down in a single blow. Soon, the long shaft of her spear was streaming with blood. The cacophony of war flooded Penthesilea's ears. The screams of the injured echoed across the battlefield, while the clang of swords rang through the din. In the chaos of the onslaught, she realized that she had lost sight of her fighters. But as she scanned the battlefield, Penthesilea saw that her band of warriors had been thinned to just three. Then she saw him. Achilles stood taller than any man Penthesilea had encountered. His bronze armor shone with the fresh blood of Trojans, and around him 
A ring of corpses laid in his wake. In the next moment, Antandre rode in for the attack. The Amazon launched her spear at Achilles, but its point simply ricocheted off his armor. As Antandre rode around the champion, Penthesilea watched as Achilles caught her by the hair and pulled her off her horse. Then in one swift movement, he drove his sword through her chest. For a moment, Penthesilea stood frozen in the churning sea of battle, her eyes trained on the horrifying scene before her. She had finally seen the man that would grant her the honorable death she had longed for. Penthesilea steeled herself and called to him. Achilles, beast among Greeks, come stand before my spear, or are you, like all men, too proud to face your death? As Penthesilea screamed her challenge to the champion, the skirmish slowed and the sounds of battle hushed. All eyes watched Achilles and the Amazon queen. The champion removed his sword from the dead entendre and walked toward Penthesilea. The two warriors met each other in the center of the plain. I am afraid of no woman, especially one who chooses to ride safely astride her steed. Then perhaps you will fear a daughter of Ares on her feet. In one movement, Penthesilea dismounted her horse and withdrew her sword from its sheath. She walked slowly toward Achilles. You walk towards your grave, Amazon. I will tear you apart by sword or spear. How would you prefer to die? Penthesilea replied by striking Achilles' sword out of his hands, sending it clattering to the ground. Spear it is. Ah! Achilles and Penthesilea exchanged blow after blow, their weapons falling into a rhythmic symphony of clashing metal. Though Penthesilea found that she was faster than the champion, every hit she made was futile, falling useless on Achilles' armor. She quickened her pace, dodging Achilles' spear, and soon managed to send his shield flying off into the distance. We've jousted long enough, warrior queen. Come meet your death. Penthesilea charged Achilles with all her strength, but the moment she reached out to strike, he thrust his spear low, delivering a blow to her legs. Penthesilea was sent stumbling to her knees. Repeatedly, she struggled to walk, but the wound had rendered her immobile. Achilles turned his back on her and began to walk away. Achilles! Don't you dare turn your back on me! You are no child of Ares, woman. Perhaps now you will remember that. Coward! Come back and finish what you've started! Achilles stopped and turned to look at the wounded Amazon. Penthesilea stumbled toward him, dragging her sword in the earth, the blood from her maimed legs mingling with the dust beneath her feet. Achilles was astonished with her strength. What kind of woman was this? What is your name, Amazon? I am Penthesilea, 
daughter of Atrera, sister of Hippolyta and Atiope, third queen of the Amazons, and you will give me a proper fight. Without a word, Achilles sprinted toward Penthesilea and in the next moment drove his spear down through the breastplate of her armor, piercing her heart. Achilles withdrew the spear from her body. Penthesilea remained kneeling, but as soon as the blood began to run from her chest, she slowly sank to the ground. Achilles knelt next to the fallen queen. Never before had he watched an enemy so closely as they faded, and he found himself growing curious. He removed Penthesilea's helmet. Underneath, covered in blood and dust, was the most beautiful woman Achilles had ever seen. She laid in all her shattered strength, tears streaking her dirt-stained face. She cast her gaze to the heavens and struggled to speak. At last, let me have grace. Penthesilea, the third queen of the Amazons and the last surviving daughter of Atrera, was dead. A queen slaughtered at the hands of men, just as her sisters had died, so did Penthesilea. But unlike the murders of Antiope and Hippolyta, Penthesilea's death by Achilles' spear was not unintentional. As the witness to her sister's killings, Penthesilea knew what lay in store for her. Whether her death would be directly dealt by men, as it happened when Hippolyta was slain by Hercules, or indirectly, as when Antiope was murdered by her own people for falling in love with Theseus, Penthesilea sensed that her fate would be similar. If she didn't die of men's brutality, Penthesilea feared she would live long enough to witness her people's domestication. As the territories of man expanded, existing as liberated women was becoming an impossible dream. So Penthesilea took control into her own hands and met death on her own terms. Continuing to fight men would be endless and futile. The Trojan War was at once her swan song and submission. Penthesilea's death and the death of all Amazon queens was used by the Greeks as a cautionary tale, a warning of what happens to those who dare to live their lives outside the jurisdiction of men. Whether it was due to rage, lust, or war, these others would meet a violent end. We see this in the Greek mythic script dooming all Amazons to defeat and death. Despite their courage, skill, and divine blood, Amazons would never emerge victorious over men. No matter how hard they fought or how much they suffered, they were destined to fail in spectacular bloody fashion again and again. But what if the tale of Penthesilea represents something else entirely? Rather than men's invincible nature, what if Penthesilea's story tells of their cruelty? 
The name Penthesilea means mourned by the people, from the Greek words penthos and laos. This implies that instead of a figure to be blamed and feared, Penthesilea was perhaps a martyr, a beloved figure holding men accountable for their misdeeds. As she suffers, Penthesilea holds a mirror to man's sins and forces us to look. But the story of Penthesilea has done more than reveal the pain man has inflicted. It has given us a champion. The myth of the Amazons has been resurrected from the battlefield of Troy and proliferated in literature, media, and even cultural revolutions. What once were cautionary tales of feminine folly have been reclaimed as symbols of women's strength and tenacity. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other shows on Spotify and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Several of you have asked how to help Mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Alex Garland. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Rebecca Ahrens Diamond, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Heston Mosier and Kathleen Nielsen. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.